number of years ago, a fellow asked me, can you tell me the meaning of Christmas in one sentence? I said, uh, yeah, I can do that, but I'd like to email it to you so I can think about it a little bit. And so I wrote him this little sentence, uh, Christmas, I'd like to read it to you. God in the person of Jesus Christ, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. God in the person of Jesus Christ became 100% human, even to the point of being a single-cell embryo in the womb of Mary, and after nine months being born as a baby, weak as a baby, helpless as every baby is. Jesus was 100% just like me, just like you. We celebrate Christmas, uh, that beginning of our salvation. Jesus grew. He grew in physical stature. He grew in character. He grew in wisdom, just like you, just like me. Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got discouraged. He got angry. He was tempted, just like you and just like me. Philippians describes this, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to. But he emptied himself, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Why? Hebrews 2.17, it says, Therefore he had, he had, he had. That means there was no other way, there was no plan B, there was no other strategy. And God's creativity of all the things that he could think and come up with, this was the only way that I could live with him, that you could live with him, that our sins could be taken care of. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, in every detail, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation, I can hardly pronounce that word. When I was 20, I was farming with my dad on the dairy, And uh, my dad grew up during the Depression. It influenced his uh, money spending. And so I was getting a little tired of farming like they did in the Depression. So I thought, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm sure I'll do way better than my dad is doing. So I borrowed $40,000 from Farm Home Administration and, and bought some cows over in Idaho and had them trucked over to Trout Lake where I... We were farming and leased a dairy next to my folks and started farming on my own, doing it the modern way. Now, unbeknownst to me, the truck that had trucked my cows from Idaho had trucked a herd of cows earlier that had a disease. And so my cows picked up that disease. And uh, they began to get sick and then one died and another one died. The vets came. I had two different vets come. And because it was new to our area. It took them a couple of months to figure out the problem, and by the time they did, half the cows died. So I couldn't make the payment on the loan, and uh, so I sold the remaining cows to my dad and went back working with my dad. But I couldn't make the payment. 
And so I went to Farm Home Administration in Hood River and met with the fellow that I'd met with to get the loan. And I says, I can't make the payment. What do I do? He said, well, we have a provision that was uh, designed way back in the Dust Bowl days when farmers were going broke right and left. And he said, the deal is you uh, describe in detail what the de- uh, all that happened and then make an offer, a counteroffer on the 40000 you owe. Now he says, make it as good as you can because you only get to do this once. And they either accept it or reject it. There's no compromising. So we got the paper and Patty and I talked about it and I says, man, we can't afford a nickel. What, what are we going to make as a counteroffer? And so I figured I could borrow some money from my dad and so we made an offer of $1,000 on the 40000 And I didn't think there was a chance they would take it, but... About two weeks later, I got an envelope in the mail and opened it up and, and uh, folded it up. And there was a, I remember it was about as big as a coffee cup and it was purple in color and it said, paid in full. Paid in full. Propitiation for the sins of the people. That means my sins were paid in full. Jesus paid the whole deal, all of it. They were paid for. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. 1 Corinthians 15.3-4 I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, died for our sins, for our sins, for mine, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. When I was a freshman in college, I experienced kind of a crisis of faith. I was teaching a Sunday school class, some little kids. I think they were seven, eight, nine, I forget how old they were. But I was going through this very thing about how to become a, a believer, how to become a child of God, the gospel presentation. And as I'm talking to these kids, I'm thinking to myself, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. Who in their right mind is going to believe this stuff? And I'm just kind of struggling big time with this gospel presentation that I'm giving to these kids. And I'm thinking, seems like God would have come up with something more reasonable, more intelligent, more easier to sell, as it were, than a baby being born, God, and then dying on a cross and paying for our sins I was struggling with it to the point that I went to one of my professors I went to him regularly with issues and things and told him what I was going through and he read this passage to me 1 Corinthians 1 18 through 20 the word of the cross is foolishness the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. They're stupid. Make no sense. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So my professor said, you know, you can't 
earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to get there. You can't even figure it out on your own. You're not going to come to God with your own intellect. You're not going to earn your way into heaven with your own good deeds. God has to do it all, and he has. But we simply have to accept that. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. My professor said, Do you think God can make you, cause you? Do you think he could enlighten you so that you could understand and it would make perfect sense? I said, Yeah, he can do that. Who will he do that for? Just anybody? Random? Arbitrary? Who does God reveal this to so they fully understand without any doubt the gospel? Who Jesus Christ is? I said, tell me. He said, those who want it, those who seek for it, those who look for it. Daniel 9, 3, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him, to seek him. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search for him with all your heart and soul, you want to know the truth, and God then will make sure you know it. Psalms 10, for the wicked, that's the prideful, in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. I was working on a tractor on the farm, and Dad came over and started telling me how to do it. And I said, I know. That's not a good thing to say to my dad. I ended up cleaning calf stalls for six weeks straight. Nastiest job on the dairy. And he said this. He said, you know, the most useless people on the planet Earth are know-it-alls. He said, they don't learn anything, they don't do anything, they don't accomplish anything. You don't want to be a know-it-all. It's interesting, that professor I was talking to, he said, people just want to do it themselves. They want to earn their way to heaven, and they think they know it all. They know what to do, when to do it, how to get there, and they don't want God leading, communicating, telling them what to do. I thought as I heard that, yeah, know-it-alls don't amount to anything. And they don't have a walk with God. They don't end up in heaven. Hosea 5, 6, they will go with their flocks and herds. They seek to seek the Lord, but they will not find him because he has withdrawn from them. See, there's a point at which God communicates. He prompts, he draws, he convicts, he sort of taps us on the shoulder. And we sense that. And often we stiff arm him. And there comes a point at which he withdraws. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Of those who seek him. So I don't know where you are this morning and your walk, your relationship with God. Uh, if you're headed to eternity in heaven with him, or if you're not sure, but the key is want to know the answer, seek him, and he will make sure you know, you understand. And then it's up to you to respond to that truth as he gives it to you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the gift 
the amazing gift of eternal life. You, you did it all. You did everything. You paid the full price. Uh, it's been paid in full, our sins. We simply have to accept that free gift, believe it, receive it, and serve you. We do love you. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.